When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody, welcome back to another Fish Bites podcast. As you can see, I'm the one talking this time. Deputy Sports Editor Andre Fernandez, your host this time around with my boy Jordan McPherson, who happens to be in Tampa getting ready for that series between uh, the Citrus Series between the Marlins and the Rays, two games on the West Coast of Florida. We are back with this other episode to talk a little bit about, uh, Jordan, what has happened. Now, I know they broke the streak. But what has happened to this Miami Marlins team? They left it in the first half. I mean, they didn't pick it up after the All-Star break. But first of all, how's Tampa? Uh, Tampa, so far, the about eight minutes that I've had to see of it outside the drive <laughs> over the sky, over the sky bri- Skyway Bridge was, again, again, get to come over here once or, once or so a year. i got some family over here I'm hopefully going to be able to see during a little bit of downtime I have out here. But I always, I love Tampa. I mean, it's, it's a nice area. I know... Again, how people feel about the trop itself, that's one thing. But Tampa, St. Pete, I always have – I have an appreciation for the area. I like being around here. But, yeah, Tampa so far, so good. You know, they, they always slam the trop. I think the trop – I'm not, like, a huge fan, but at the same time, I feel like it sometimes it gets a little, like, too much uh, hate. You know what I mean? Yeah. There, there, yeah, no, there's certain I agree. things to like. I agree. I agree. It's not one of my top ballparks, but it's not one of my least favorite ballparks. And also, right. it gets the bonus points, just like Lone Depot Park. It has a roof. You never have exactly. to worry about delays. You never have to worry about a tarp going on the field. You know the right. game is going to be played as scheduled. So it, it done, yeah. gets props for that. <laughs> could it, could they, could stadiums be made or maybe a little nicer? Maybe, yeah, but I do give them credit for that. And I think MLB in the future take a page from that. And I think they have because, you know, like the Rangers now have a roof as well. Right. You know, the more weather gets to be a problem, you know, it's just easier and easier to have one. But anyways, the Rays, the it, it's the Marlins lost eight in a row. They did break the streak, like we said. A little bit, you know, dicey, though. They blow another ninth inning lead, and then, you know, the runner on second helps a little bit. They get the win. Fine. And you could say, if you're the glass half full type, that this is a good time to catch the Rays. They just let the lead slip in the AL East. The Orioles have taken over for them. But let's get to the bottom line, what we said before. What From what you've seen, Jordan, what? why has this team kind of left its uh, – it's, it's, it's effectiveness, it's success in the first half so far. Why are they struggling to get it back? Oh, I mean, the the shortened drive it is they're just they're getting in their own way. I mean, the offense they had through nine through the nine games since the break, they're averaging about nine hits a game, 82 hits overall in nine games, but they're hitting 195 with runners in scoring position. They've hit the nine more double plays, which brings them up to an MLB leading 106. The second most in MLB is, I believe, 81 by the Blue Jays. So you're seeing this team get guys on base and then do nothing with it. They're only averaging about three runs per game since the break ended. And normally that's fine if the pitching's doing well, but the pitching has not been doing well. Again, as we mentioned, the bullpen, they've blown four saves, all four save opportunities they've had since the break ended. They've blown all of them. 
AJ Puck has struggled in struggled in the closer role since they got back. Uh, JT Chargois and Dylan Flora, their top two right-handed relief options, just haven't been reliable. And this for both of them goes before the break as well. So you're seeing some some stuff with the bullpen it being taxed, and you're seeing the offense outside of Luis Arias being the table come up in the clutch like they did so much during that first half of the season when they had everything, when they were able to have all the comeback wins and the walk-offs and the one-run wins and all that type of stuff. You're just not seeing it yet as they come back from the second half of the season. And this also goes back to why it was so important for them to really build up what they did in that first half when they had that soft stretch of the, that soft portion mm-hmm. of the schedule, when they faced Oakland, they faced Kansas City, yada, 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 and went into the break 14 over 500. You knew a losing streak was going to happen. Did you know it was yeah. going to be an eight-game losing streak? No, you didn't. But the fact that they were able to go into the break 14 over 500, it helped mitigate some of the damage done by that losing streak because even with a one and eight star coming out of the break, they're still seven over 500. And now they enter this week, they're still within a half game of the final wild card spot and one full game behind the top wild card spot. So even with this big lo- this big stretch, yes, it hurt. But if they're able to find a way to, even if it's not completely what they did in that first half, if they can at least start finding ways to play in a sense of how they did in the first half, they're still in a position to make a push over these final two months. Yeah, and I mean, the bullpen is a big part of that because, you know, they were very solid throughout, for the most part, throughout the season and different pieces, which is the thing that, you know, Skip had talked about before. But, I mean, four blown saves, and you just don't want to have that that feeling no matter, and you know, where you're like that unreliable feeling going into the ninth inning, you know, no matter who's on the mound. And that's how it kind of felt. And then what the sucky part was you're facing a team like the Rockies, a beatable team, and you drop two out of three, and you're very close to dropping all of them because of the same problem. And that's and that's what was bad. I mean, even, even yesterday, even on Sunday, excuse me, when it seemed like it was in the bag and you're thinking to yourself, okay, maybe they get at least this one, take a breath on Monday and head into Tampa. Before they did, oh, great, here we go again. Another blown lead in the ninth. And it continues. And then this bullpen, as taxed as it's been, that's the one concern. That's one of the concerns, I would say, especially – you know, with the way they've had to mix and match a little bit of with the rotation because of injuries and whatnot, you know, then Cueto comes in and delivers a great start, but it goes to waste, you know? So like that, that the bullpen, and we've talked about what they could potentially do in the next, you know, 10, 11 days, or no, less than, less than that now, less than a week or so coming up for the, the uh, trade deadline uh, in terms of what they could add to it. Can they add another righty, balance it out and, now you're not even thinking in terms of which arm, but just maybe just some depth, some help when it comes to that side of it, because that's the only way they're going to survive down the stretch. If, if they have, you know, can at least get a little bit of that reliability going again in the ninth. Yeah, no doubt about it. And that also comes down to figuring out who ends up doing that role. Does Skip Schumacher keep AJ Puck in that spot? Does he right. revert back, revert to Tanner Scott having that role and, Again, Tanner's been fantastic in the eighth inning. I think he's up to 71 strikeouts over 60-some-odd innings. He's been steady in the eighth inning, but we saw what he was like last year when he was great in the eighth inning, and then every ninth inning in a safe situation was like walking a tightrope. Does right. do things there with him mentality-wise when he goes eighth or eighth to ninth? Right. They trade for a guy who can end up becoming, becoming – And they both let him slip. Yeah. yeah. Or do they – and then also it just – it 
also reverts back to some stuff with the bullpen. Never thought I'd be saying this back at the start of the season, but wow, how much they're missing Ancinardi right now. That guy with him, with them losing him in those sixth, seventh inning type roles, they're trying to find other guys to fill the gap of being the the extinguisher, the guy who can come in in a tough situation. And they're having to throw Dylan Floro in there, JT Chargois in there, Foscar Brazabon at times. And they're having mixed results. Whereas when Andrew Nardi was in there before the triceps injury, he was the guy who he went in there and you knew he was going to shut it down. Right. So now with them having to find other people to fill those spots before they even get to the back end, you're seeing some of those little holes that are coming in when they're not at full strength. Right. Uh, and just a quick note on Nardi, he's starting a rehab assignment this week in Jacksonville. The hope is that he's back by the end of the week. Uh, and just because you touch on him, just have to give a shout out to what Johnny Cueto's done these first two outings that he's done. Uh, comes in out of the bullpen, his first outing in Baltimore, that Sunday game, throws three shutout innings, and then goes six strong in his first start back with them throwing him back into the rotation on Saturday. Uh, goes into the seventh, gives up a leadoff single, and then uh, JT Chargois relieves him, gives up the game-tying home run there. But to see what Cueto was doing, nobody obviously was expecting him to do that right. in his first yeah. two starts. But if he is able to be a reliable piece, it really helps the Marlins with some of the problems they did have in terms of that rotation depth. Remember, Trevor Rogers fell on the IL. He's not throwing. Yuri Perez is in the minors because they have to monitor his innings. You need to see what happens with Edward Cabrera down the stretch, Jesus Lazardo down the stretch, Braxton Gary down the stretch. And obviously, Sandy is still very unsandy-like this season. So if you can get reliability, not necessarily dominance, but just reliability out of Johnny Cueto in one of those spots over these final two months, you take that and run. Oh, yeah. Especially knowing, especially with how the season started with him, the one inning right. and then getting hurt, and then <clears throat> not knowing what you were going to get when he was struggling with those minor league rehab assignments. And I get it. He's a veteran Obviously, when you're out down there working on a rehab assignment, you're not necessarily looking at the results. You're, for him, it's the focus is try to get the pitches ready, try to get everything ready so that when it counts, he's ready. But when you see the numbers that he put up, you're, so, you're just scratching your head going, is everything going to be ready? And turned out it was. So we saw yeah. two outings so far. Let's see what happens as he continues on. But had to give a shout out to what Cueto was able to do these first those first two outings. Yeah, that that's what they hold for. I mean, that's why they got him. But of course, obviously, those are the big question marks, and rightfully so, with the injury concern, and you know, and he's up there now a little bit at this point in his career. But you know, I mean, is he going to do exactly what he did the other day? But if he can do at least a little bit of that, and at least give you some some innings, that would be a huge help. And obviously, stay on the mound too because you don't want him getting hurt again. But uh, we'll see how that process evolves overall but i mean uh, looking at this series you know i know it's just a two-gamer but it's always fun when they play each other i mean it's a series though one thing that struck me that you even mentioned you reinforced that point a few minutes ago was these two teams mirroring each other right now just in the sense that they're both slumping they're both kind of you know riding out the you know the, the big wave they had early on to kind of build a little bit of a cushion especially in Tampa's case, the way they came out historically good at the beginning of the season and, were, you know, whatever it was, 29 and nine at the time, something like that. And, you know, now they've seen that slip away. So it's a desperate, not a desperate, completely desperate raised team, but a, te a raised team that is thinking to itself, okay, they still have an extra cushion because of how good they were in the wild card picture, but they still would like to regroup and, and get back in it and, and see if they can 
take back this division from the Orioles while, of course, holding off the Jays and the Yankees and the Red Sox, you know, in the, the AL East, which is always, uh, you know, a wild one. But, you know, Tampa's dominated this series to, you know, 18 and two for them over the past four years. You know, so what can the Marlins do when you look at this matchup, Jordan? What can the Marlins do? I mean, it's very brief, but it's two wins. It, it's a series where you don't want to go 0-2. You want to come away maybe with at least one. So the win on Sunday isn't just a fluke, just a little blip. You start it, – it, it seems to be kind of turning the tide a little bit because after that, as we know, August is on the horizon, and that whole schedule in August is going to be brutal. Yeah, no, I mean, when you look at this matchup, I mean, for me, it's starting with, which it seems like almost every big series comes to, you got to look at these starting pitching matchups, which both of them are beauties of matchups on paper. Uh, yeah. Tuesday, we got Edward Cabrera against Tyler Glass now. Cabrera was solid his first start back from the IL in St. Louis, threw five no-hit innings, and then gave up a solo home run in the sixth. But again, he was steady. His velo looked great. And if he's able to match up against Tyler Glass now, that gives the Marlins a chance. And then if you look at the Wednesday matchup, you got Sandy against Zach Eflin, who Eflin's been having a great year for them as well. Tyler Glass now has been phenomenal. And then, I mean, they lucked out that they're not facing McClanahan with everything going on there. But, again, like you mentioned, both of these teams, Tampa's 3-7 and seven since the break, two of the three wins coming against Kansas City Royals. Then they got swept by the Rangers and lost 3-4 of four to the same Baltimore team that swept the Marlins coming out of the break. Uh, but this is, a again, Tampa still – even when they're down, they're dangerous. We've seen that. Hit, we've seen that with them. Obviously, the starting pitching, uh, their offense—they basically pick a pick a guy out of the hat, and he's and he's gonna have a big game. Uh, Randy Rosarena is still Randy Rosarena. Wander Franco still Wander Franco. Uh, you got Brandon Lau. You got Brandon Lau. You've got basically just pick whoever you want. And they're gonna be able to find a guy who has a moment. The Marlins—they need the starting pitching to set them up. And like I said before, with how they dealt with during a losing streak, they need to make sure they don't get in their own way. They need to make sure that when Luis Rice gets a hit, that they're not striking out and hitting it to a double play to end the inning. They need to find they need somebody on the offense outside of Luis Arias to step up and make a big play and make be able to get those clutch hits. If they're able to do that and I think they can at least split the series and that is the goal. You need to get at least one, like you said. They can't just let that. They can't just let that one win happen on Sunday and then be like, okay, well, we lost two more. They can't make it ten out of eleven. Ten out of eleven losses going out of this break, especially since all they have left before the trade deadline is a weekend series against the Detroit Tigers. And the next thing you know, we're flipping to August, where right. again we have the trade deadline. The Marlins are going to have decisions they have to make, and if they can take at least one or two here and handle business against Detroit, it'll make the front office feel a lot better about where they stand heading into August, that August 1st trade deadline. Yeah, that's a very good point. I was thinking of it in the sense of you don't want to let the stretch kind of spiral even more, but it's critical specifically in this week when you're trying to decide how much of a buyer are we, how much of a seller are we, let's say, you know, around the league. In their case, they're trying to be buyers. They're kind of balancing out right now maybe, or you would think potentially how much and how much to sacrifice, you know, weighing the short term, the long term, depending on, their chances. I mean, it's not going to drastically shift too much, even if they did go badly, I think, because of the way having the third wild card is, they're Correct. still going to be in it. I mean, worst thing that can happen, they fall two, three games behind. You're not going to feel like, oh, crap, we're screwed. No, it's not anything like that. But it is interesting to see how that always works in the days leading up to you know a trade deadline like it is right now. 
Yeah, it definitely is. And again, the Marlins are at the point with where they are in the standings and how much of a cushion there is between where they stand and the rest of the group that's chasing. It's basically a five-team race for three spots in the wild card. Uh, you've got whoever's going to be second in the NL Central between the Brewers and the Reds. You've got the Giants. You've got the D-backs. You've got the Marlins. You've got the Phillies. Those right. five competing for three spots, and all of them are bunched within the game of each other right now heading into this week. So no matter what the Marlins are going to buy, but again, like you said, it's how much of their future do they sacrifice for for what they're going to do for this fi- this push over these two months and then what for what they hope is going to be into October. And really, two needs stand out among this team. Um, they're gonna, they need at least one more impact bat in that lineup. And like we mentioned with the bullpen, they need another high-leverage reliever and primarily a right-handed high-leverage reliever because their main high-leverage guys right now are lefty A.J. Puck, lefty Tanner Scott, and uh, once he's healthy, lefty Andrew Nardi and lefty Stephen Oker. See a trend there? And then, and then with the righties right now, it's Huascar Brazoban, uh, Dylan Floro, and JT Chargois. Floro has sort of found himself out on the outside looking in with the high leverage spots. Uh, JT Chargois is basically hit or miss depending on where, where he is. And uh, Brazoban's role basically has been dictated on what the rest of the bullpen is doing. If you need him to be the multi-inning guy, he's the multi-inning guy. If he's the mop-up duty guy, he's the mop- if they need a mop-up guy, he's the mop-up guy. If they need somebody to slide into uh, the early setup role, they slide him into the early setup role. So they don't have a tried-and-true right-handed guy who they can put into the eighth or ninth inning and go, this is our guy, we know he can get it. So with that, I mean, a few of the options, I'll start with the relievers and I'll work my way back to the hit, to the potential bats they can go for. Uh, start with the Royals. Uh, Scott Barlow, currently their closer, seems like one of the main options out there. They already traded uh, Chapman over to, I forgot where they sent, uh, to Texas. Texas, yeah. And Chapman over to Texas already. Uh, Barlow has been the, the Royals closer. Obviously, they're not going anywhere at this point. He would be, he's definitely someone who's going to be on the block. Uh, the Cardinals, who have mentioned they're selling, uh, Jordan Hicks and Ryan Helsley are the main two righties from there from them that you could see getting sent away. Uh, Nate, another thing to watch, uh, Justin Lawrence from the Rockies, who was did very well against Miami. Miami just got an up-close-and-personal view of him. He's a good mm-hmm. one, but also he's under team control still for, for a good bit, so that might – That could cost, yeah. Yeah. They could bring up the cost, and the Rockies don't necessarily have to send them away. Right. Similar to what the Marlins were like last year when it was like everyone was talking about, oh, the Marlins have to trade Pablo. Here's where his stock is. But because he was under team control, unless mm-hmm. the offer is right, the Rockies can say, no, we'll wait until the offseason, and then we'll make the move then. Right. And then do you want to really fork over so much for a guy who exactly. right now is pitching well, but it's not like a truly, truly established name proven in the league either. So yeah, exactly. How much yeah, do you want to risk on that? Yeah, that's exactly that's the other point there. And then when it comes to the bats, the main name that I keep hearing and keeps getting linked to the Marlins, uh, Nationals third baseman Jaime Candelario. He's just he's on an expiring contract. He's due about two million dollars the rest of the season. Switch hitter, above average defense at third base. Obviously, right now the Marlins have Gene Segura at third base, and we've seen the results or lack thereof for the most part of the season at third with Segura. Uh, Candelario entered the week hitting 254 with an 807 OPS, 15 home runs. And as an aside, Jorge Soler is the only Marlin with more home runs than that this season. Mm. 47 RBI, 57 runs scored. He's been producing for 
a Nationals lineup that doesn't really have much protection around him. So right. if you add him to this lineup, obviously he's not the big name, the big impact name that everyone would, would say, oh, yeah, he's an automatic guy who's going to completely change everything. But it is another quality bat that even if it's in the five, six, seven hole in the lineup, it adds that much more length to the lineup. Especially if you, when you consider where the Marlins stand, or hopefully going to have Jazz back by the, in the next month, which that in and of itself, just from the bat perspective, yeah. should be able to bring a game changer into the lineup. So if they can get a guy like Condelario, or even a guy like if you look at from the Cardinals, who again are going to be selling, if they get a guy like a Dylan Carlson or a Paul DeYoung or one of those type of pieces, again, Candelario is still the name that I'm hearing more than anybody else, and then. If they were kind of, it kind of, it kind of fits the, it kind of fits the, in terms of, I guess, in terms of salary too, and in terms of the type of player, like the, the kind of moves they made early on, which built yes. the lineup you see today anyway. They didn't go for the big, big name, but you can get a guy who is, who is productive, who is useful and fits perfectly into the spot they'd want him to. And it sounds like, you know, a guy like Candelario would probably fit that a little bit more. So kind of tracks is the type of move they probably, they even just that they can make. Mm-hmm. at the deadline without again going back to that don't pay too much problem yeah and the thing and then the only other name that i've heard which again it's far more less likely in my opinion especially since we don't know if he's going to be available but mm. with where, oh, the chicago yeah. cubs are, where the chicago cubs are again they signed a, a pretty good lefty bat to a one-year prove-it deal this offseason he certainly proved it and if Cody Bellinger ended up on the trademark, and remember the Marlins did pursue him in the offseason. So yep. so if he was to be to come onto the market again, left-handed hitter who can play both center field and first base. So even if you start him out, if you hypothetically the Marlins get him, start mm-hmm. down center field until Jazz comes back, and then Jazz comes back, you still want Jazz in center field. Okay, Bellinger plays first the rest of the year. Right. It yeah, would, and, this, and, and this would be a rental. Obviously, yeah. so again, it would it would be okay in terms of that part of it contractually yes. too. Exactly. So he is a rental. He has a mutual option for the 2024 season, which we all know he's probably not going to take. He right. or at least one side isn't because he's going to be able to take the heyday this year. Again, he's hitting 319 with a 918 OPS this year. If the Marlins want to make a big splash and were able to swing that, yeah, it would be. Yeah. You want to hope also that maybe he's seeing it in a way of a springboard toward yes. maybe a big contract next year with someone else show that he's still Bellinger productive Bellinger that he can be like he's showing all that stuff too. So it works yeah. kind of both ways. Yeah, it definitely does. And again, that's all August 1st, uh, 5 PM deadline. And that's going to be fun to watch. And really the trade deadline itself, there's so much unknown still because oh, yeah. again, like we mentioned with the third wild card spot and with mm-hmm. both central divisions being well, bad. It's really there's so much uncertainty with some of those teams that are. Well, gave you that idea, Jordan. What the uh, cellar dwelling Red Sox are better than like the entire Central Division? Oh no, yeah. Uh, well, when I look at the AL Central and a team that's one under five hundred, the Cleveland Guardians are only three games out of first place. Oh, I know. Yeah. Every time I look at the bottom of the AL East, and uh, certain people know why. Mm-hmm. You know, it's frustrating when you see that. Yeah. No, it still lines up where the entire AL East is still better than the AL Central. Mm-hmm. The Yankees oh, and Red yeah. Sox are still yep. a half game above the Minnesota Twins right now. Oh, no doubt. No yeah, doubt. so with like with Cleveland being a game under 500 but only three games out of the wild card spot, with looking at the AL with the NL Central, obviously Milwaukee and Cincinnati are the top two. 
but Chicago yep. is, could still technically be in it if they want. If they wanted to say say they were in it, obviously we have no idea how San Diego is going to play things out after making the big splash this offseason and now falling as far behind as they are. Yeah. Uh, well, since the addition of the third yeah. spot, it's really it's muddied that picture every time. Like every time we've had a trade deadline since, you know, it, it, it yeah, it, you're like you're. It makes it interesting, like how close are we to giving up, or how close are we to saying, or how much do we stick to it? How much faith do we have that we can turn it around? Yeah, yeah, and and it, it really, really muddles the picture. And doing that impacts every other team that already knows that it's in or that it's out because, right. because you're trying to sell. Line that has you over, the bigger right. names. You right. obviously want to prioritize them, but right. as we get closer and closer and closer, each day goes that goes by. It's like when. When is the first domino going to fall? And mm-hmm. when that first domino falls, how quickly do the rest of the dominoes start right. going? Right. That's like why it, this next week is going to be so fascinating. Right. Like the Nationals, like the Rockies, got teams that are out of it right now and they're waiting there. And they can't do business or they can't pull the trigger on deals because, you know, the teams they're talking to are kind of in a holding pattern until the last minute pretty much. So, yep. yeah, that's, you know, that's the whole thing. with I, When you do one of these things and you – Again, the third wild card. Not, I, I, I wasn't like a huge fan of it, only because of things. Not necessarily because of things like that, but just the watering down of it. But I do get from the point of view of you know, it keeps more teams in it, mm-hmm. keeps more teams. You know, now someone that would be out of it by June or July might still stay in it till maybe closer to September. And you know, it has its goods and its ups and downs, but it definitely muddles the picture a lot more. So. Like you said, it'll be interesting to see, you know, once again, these Marlins in Tampa, pretty cool. We'll, we'll wrap this by talking, jumping ahead of that real quick, just a, a just a, a quick little tease to Miguel Cabrera weekend at the ballpark. And I'm sure you're looking forward to that, Jordan. What um, I know, you know, I was uh, graduating college when uh, Miguel Cabrera was homering as a rookie for the Marlins in our feel old moment of the week here. But um, what what do you what do you just what do you think of your thoughts of Miggy the career he's had and and how much you're looking forward to this weekend uh, just to get to see him one more time in person? Yeah, this weekend's gonna be fun again. I never really got the chance to really see Miguel Cabrera in person that much. I haven't. This is my first time getting to cover him um, as a reporter. So, oh really? Okay. Yeah, I thought maybe at some point Detroit well, or something. The only other time the Marlins played Tigers was uh, my first year on the beat, 2019, and mm. it was when I was still pseudo helping on the high school side, and it overlapped with our high school breakfasts. Oh, okay. So David Wilson, I did that trip. I remember David when I was Wilson ended up going on that trip. I missed that series. I missed the Garrett yeah. Cooper goalhead grand slam. You can blame missed- me for you can blame me for leaving and going to the athletic and and, and leaving yeah. no high school guy behind. That, that's what screwed yeah. Joe on that one. <laughs> yeah, so I ended up. So I'm excited that I'm going to get my first experience getting to cover Miguel Cabrera in person outside the World Baseball Classic. I have to put that as the aside. I did get to cover a couple of his WBC games, but yeah. to see to cover him from an MLB side, I'm excited for this weekend. I'm excited to see what the Marlins are going to be doing over the weekend because Fridays they've been doing their flashback Fridays, rem- reminiscing over the 30 years of the franchise history. They're going to have a bunch of alumni back from that 03 from the 03 team uh, Saturday for their heritage night, they're doing Venezuelan heritage night. A lot of the top Venezuelan players in who a lot of top Venezuelan former MLB players are expected to be at the ballpark. The Marlins are going to be doing ceremonies for, for both of those days. So it's going to be 
a lot of fun, a lot of emotion, a lot of just getting to look back and reminisce about what he's done. I mean, obviously the 3,000 hits, the 500 home runs, obviously being part of that 03 World Series, just, again, it's been an incredible career to watch from a distance, and it's just, it's hard to be, it's hard to fathom that it's actually going to be coming to an end in about two months. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember seeing in person on TV the uh, the famous battle he had with Roger Clemens in the World Series, and I found that clip on social the other day. I think on Twitter somebody had po- posted it or something, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, we didn't appreciate that at the time, like thinking how good is this kid yeah. that when you what it's not just the the end result of that at bat. Look, watch, go back and watch that at bat. How he battled the the approach he had at 20 years old. You're, and facing a legend like the Rocket in the World Series, for you know, on top of, on top of that, I mean, it just showed you how special. Like at the time, you were like, "Wow, we didn't even know how good that he was going to be." And look, you know, triple crown on top of that. To me, that the no pun intended, like the, the the definitely the the cherry on top to an unbelievable career to do something as as hard as it is to do it to to achieve a triple crown. So, anyway, enjoy that, I'm sure, my friend. And on that note. We'll, we'll leave it at that. We'll be back next week to, to recap that Marlins Tiger series and to see how the Marlins are doing by then. You know, does the slump continue or do they break out of it against the Rays or the Tigers? We'll see. But uh, Jordan, you take care, my friend. Have fun in Tampa. And uh, for for Jordan, for and I'm Andre Fernandez. And we will see you guys next week on the Fish Bites podcast. <laughs>